You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. We're going we're gonna to do a team teach approach today, Steve and I. Whoops. And my slides are going crazy. There we go. Perfect. So, so far, this has worked out pretty well for us. So the pressure's on Steve to continue this. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, one of the things that, that I've realized sort of um, in being in leadership is that, you know, we're talking a lot about, um, I mean, Steve and I are always talking about the church. We're always talking about Oh, what are the things, what do, we, what do we want to see this church? And we have these meetings with the elders, and we're constantly talking about it. And, we, and, and one thing that I, I forget sometimes is that not everyone hears those conversations. And so we'll do messages or send out things that kind of touch on the points that, are, that we're feeling um, and that we feel where God is leading us. And, you know, we think about, oh, I, I did a sermon, so everyone heard it. And then I forget, oh, wait, you know, people weren't there, or maybe they don't remember. And, and it's always good to come back to the basics of the church, and what is the church, and who do we want, what do we want the church to be? What is God, more importantly, what does God want the church to be? And so a few months ago, we talked about this idea of, you know, we were revamping our, our, our stewardship class, and we talked about some of the points that are the big themes of New Hope Chapel. What makes New Hope Chapel New Hope Chapel? And so as, as we were thinking about it and praying about it, three kind of points sort of came up uh, in, in that thought. One is, is that this is God's church, and that's what we'll be focusing on today. This is God's church. If you ever, you know, we have these conversations where Steve's always like, this is God's church. This is whatever he wants to do. He's in charge. You are part of the church family, and that's something that we, you know, we've talked about when we did, read our bylaws and everything, focusing on this emphasis that everyone at New Hope Chapel is a part of the church family. Um, and third, that God has entrusted the church to us as stewards, and we will talk about stewardship um, in a couple of weeks. But I'll begin by talking about this point. This is God's church. This is God's church. So a few years ago... I was driving down the road with a friend who's in ministry, and there were just a bunch of mega churches everywhere. I mean, just kind of driving like mega church, mega church. We were in out in California, and uh, every every time we passed one of these mega churches, my friend would say to me, he'd say, "Oh, that's so and so's church," or "That's so and so's church," and it was like every all these big names that you hear about, people that you read books from. Uh, people that you see on television sometimes, all these mega church. And so for, for about, you know, after about the 10th or 15th time, I kind of, I was like, wait a second, aren't these God's churches, right? Aren't these God's churches? Probably about a year ago, I heard a story about um, a pastor who was getting a lot of bad press. And he was getting bad press because he had built this mega church, I'm sorry, this mega house in an area that wasn't, really known for having mega houses. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about it, whether it was ethical for him to do that, you know, whose money was he using, and all of that stuff. Well, I think what caught, as I was kind of re- researching this, this particular pastor, I was caught by something else. I was caught by a, a coloring page that he gave out at his church. Um, 
And they look like this. They're not pictures of Jesus per se. They're pictures of the leaders of the church. And it says, and it says unity. And afterwards, and it's under it says, we are united under the visionary. Our church is built on the vision God gave and the pastor's name was there. We all protect the unity by supporting his vision. So nearly the same day as I, I heard about this story, I heard about another one, a really tragic story. A pastor a fa- and a father of two was driving home one night when he was killed in a, tra- a traffic accident in, I think, New Mexico. And it made me think back to the story of this church visionary. What happens when the visionary leaves? What happens when, God forbid, the visionary dies? Does the church suddenly not have a vision? About four and a half years ago, our pastor of 18 years, Gary Dershinsky, left New Hope Chapel to follow God's call out west. And I remember the first elders meeting after he left. I felt like, it's my personal feeling, we were, and I include myself in this, kind of a bunch of sailors who had no idea how to drive a boat or what exactly we were doing on the boat or where the boat was going. I know that's a little extreme. And I don't think, I don't think really the bottom line, any of us really knew or understood what New Hope Chapel was supposed to be. And it's, this is not a knock on Gary. He was an awesome pa- pastor. But he was here for the longest time. He was here. He, out, he outmembered everyone else in the church. And the church's visions and ideas and ministries really formed around him. And that's oftentimes what happens in churches. So by the time he left, he had been here longer. And, and all of a sudden we were, well, what, what is New Hope Chapel? It's no longer Gary's church. What is it? I remember one person, and this person is no longer here, but praying, uh, and I'll say this, a really kind of depressing prayer during that time that went something like this. God, we don't have a shepherd anymore. Help us find a shepherd. And I felt like the Lord just hit me on the back of the head and said, "Uh, what am I, chopped liver? Right? Verses like 1 Peter 5 refer to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head of the church. So why is it that sometimes we want to look to a human being instead of Jesus? There are a lot of popular pastors out there, a lot of celebrity pastors, successful pastors, mega church pastors, whatever you want to call it. And I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you're turned off by it. Some seem like they love and crave the spotlight. Some pastors, like the one maybe in the coloring book, think the church is all about their vision. They say, get on board or get out. Their idea of unity is, I call the shots and you follow orders. That's what unity is, right? But in many cases, there are successful pastors, and I would say in most cases, and they're not ones who crave the spotlight. They've come, become successful just because they're doing the things that God has called them to do. Their celebrity status isn't something that they're trying to achieve. More often than not, it's thrusted on them. It's thrusted on them by the congregations, Often the temptation for churches is the same temptation that Israel experienced. We want a king. The temptation to exalt one person, the temptation to be complacent, the temptation to be willing to say, we live and die by one individual. In 1 Samuel 8, Israel begged for a king. They begged for that one person to lead them. And says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they've rejected, 
but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they're doing this to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Having a king seems nice. A single person to point to as the leader. A single person to blame when stuff goes wrong. You always know who's in charge. It's that guy, the guy with the crown. The problem with a king is that they're human. You get their strengths, but you also get their weaknesses. And what they got was one person to lead them with all of his strengths and with all of his weaknesses. You see, the more we make church about human beings, the less it becomes about Jesus. And the more it becomes susceptible to the limitations and the sinfulness that human beings experience. Gary leaving us, I'll say, was a blessing in disguise. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Gary. He was a mentor to me. He was my pastor for a long time. But what, when, God, when God asked Gary to leave, he asked us to start taking responsibility for understanding his desire for the church. Things that we would just kind of let Gary decide for us. That year that Gary left was one of probably the most important years of my life. And as we prayed, God began speaking his heart to our heart. This church needed to be God's church. We could no longer be content with putting one person in the spotlight. We need to put Jesus in the spotlight and give him the place and authority that he deserved. Because after all, this is God's church. So we're going to talk about what does that mean? What does God's church, how does, how does, how do we make God's church? And Steve is going to start us off. Thank you, Justin. It's my, my privilege to be able to share, uh, share this stage and message with Justin. I'm beginning to like this tag-teaming on speaking. Uh, I was, just an hour ago, I was in our Sunday school class, discussion class, and I was thinking to myself, Church just doesn't get any better than this because we haven't had an awesome discussion as we typically do. (laughs) And I wasn't looking as forward as much to this because by nature, I'm not always delighted about being up in front of a lot of people or having any kind of an attention focused. Uh, But as I'm sitting here and we're singing the songs and worshiping and I was praying, and then being reminded of Justin's introduction, uh, I am real excited about the opportunity to talk about these principles that we really have been discussing for three or four years. Uh, and just getting a chance to articulate them, uh, I think it's a great... Uh, I really appreciate the fact, and Justin's had this idea for a while of, of sitting down, let's, let's talk about these things uh, and get them out there. I know you've heard of some of these things being alluded to uh, at different times. But one of the foundation principles that we would sort of put under the umbrella of this being God's church is the idea that uh, we hold Christ to be preeminent. What does preeminent mean? It's a word we don't use very often. It means having the highest rank and importance. It means being the prominent one. Another way to say it would be having the first place in everything. Now, let me give you a disclaimer before we talk about that one principle. 
as with all of the principles that we're going to be talking about in this series, uh, we're not trying to say anything negative about any other churches, specifically or even generally. There's no comparison being made. What we're trying to do is uh, articulate things that we have discovered and we think work best in this context. Uh, We're not trying to say we're better than any church or that other churches do not have Christ at their center. Uh, In fact, we hope and expect that this principle is true of them. What we've found, or we believe we've seen, is that it's easy for individuals and churches, this church, to potentially drift away, even slightly, from a true center. So we feel there's great value in keeping this principle for my sake, for our sake, to keep this principle deliberately and intentionally in front of us. And that's why we talk in these terms. Well, let's see what the Bible says about preeminent. And it's taken from Colossians 1. Justin's already had Colossians 1.18 up on the screen, and that's the key verse. Uh, the word preeminent you're not going to find, but modern translations take that term uh, derived in an older translation, and they, in, in this particular case it reads, first place in everything. Let me give you a highlighted version just to emphasize some of the reasons why we view Christ as preeminent. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, and and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That says it all for us. And uh, just to run through a few uh, good. Run through run through a few summary statements of this. He is creator. In Colossians there, we just read, all things were created through him and for him. And that includes everything that we see, all the good food we eat, the trees. I love trees. Just being able to see trees, um, everything created that we can see. And it said all things invisible. Goodness knows what it is we don't see. All things on earth he created and all things in the heavens, it said. Well, what's that involved? We don't know. All we see are the majesty of the clouds and the array of stars at night. We see the power of a thunderstorm. We see the huge waves on an ocean that get blown up. We see something like the Grand Canyon, and we get impressed by God's greatness. But Jesus created more than that. He saved us. He came on a rescue mission 
to atone for our sins. Not his own, ours. He came and paid that price, offered himself up. You know, that's the story of the Bible. In Genesis 3, where we have the record of the fall of humankind into sin, the introduction of sin and death into the world, we have the promise that one is coming that's going to defeat Satan. And all the way through, of course, the the cross comes in with the Gospels, Jesus actually coming to earth, ministering, but all the way to Revelation where you have the Lamb on the throne and He makes all things new. It's about Jesus. He sets us apart. So He takes you and I and He's taking taking us to Himself and is in the process of making us like Himself. He made us a nation of priests. He's given each of us a spiritual gift that he wants us to partner with him in using. He calls us an ambassador uh, as, as the body of Christ. And this local group sort of exercises its gifts. Ephesians says we grow to a holy temple for the Lord. You know, set apart is an idea, and we've talked about this before, that, that really communicates the notion of being holy. So there's a New Testament word that's used for both concepts. It's the same concept, really. So we read about in 229 times in the New Testament, we have this word, this adjective. We read it as every time you read Holy Spirit, it's this word. When we read that we grow to a holy temple to the Lord, it's that word. It says we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy. It's that word. But you know, of those 229, now let me start again. Have you ever thought about becoming a saint? It would be kind of cool to be a saint, to be that good. I never feel like one at my best. But you know, out of those 229 times, 61 times, or about a quarter of the times that word holy is used in the New Testament, it's translated saints. And it doesn't just mean all those people out there I admire. It's used for the members of the body of Christ, believers. One striking example, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. If you know much about that book, that church had problems. Uh, And Paul says right at the beginning, calls them all saints. I'm not like the Corinthians, but they're saints, so I must be. We're all saints. That's what the Bible says. Jesus has done that. Finally, just as a sampling, he's king of kings. We read, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We've had the opportunity to get a head start on that. You know, I don't know how much TV you watch on Discovery Channel. There's a show called Deadliest Catch. And it's been running for a few seasons. But it's all about these commercial crab fishermen up in the Bering Sea. That's off of Alaska. And, you know, it's not about June, July, August crabbing. They start in the fall and they go all the way to the spring. So, yeah, they're crabbing through January and February. And so they're, they're out there trying to catch these crabs. They're, they're hauling up. They're setting 100 or more pots, uh, crab pots, 800-pound crab pots. 
Then they're going back and pulling them all up and getting the crabs out of them. And they fill their tanks with like hundreds of thousands of pounds of crabs. So they're up there doing this all the time. They're doing it in temperatures of zero and below. They're doing it when the waves are 25 feet tall, 30 feet tall. They're washing over the the ship. They're getting the spray off of that. They're interviewing crewmen while they're doing it, and there's ice all in their beards and mustaches. Um, they, they, uh, they're in danger of falling over or being washed over or being hit by one of these crab pots as it's being lifted up. They do all that. And they work like tens of hours at a stretch. So they'll be out there 30 hours straight, just going up and down, catching crab. They'll go for a week with just a few hours of sleep. And you wonder, why are you doing this? And it always comes through in the show. There's one reason. Crabs. We're catching crabs, and crabs equal money, and that's what I'm after. So they push aside every human convenience, and even risk of their life, they don't worry about for that one purpose. Well, Paul puts Christ on that same plane. Everything pushes aside except Christ. I eagerly expect and hope that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So we came here this morning under one name alone. And it's not Zeus or Mother Earth. We don't meet under the name of religion, morality, or tolerance. We're not here in the name of Abraham, Moses, or the Apostle Paul. And even though you hear these names around here, we're not meeting because of Converge or Hibbard or because we're called New Hope Chapel. We meet in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's Him that we lift up and proclaim. It's Jesus that we sing about and worship. It's in His name we pray, and we're united into one body. Not just here, but everywhere you go in the world. You run across another believer, we're united with them. And folks that have gone around the world can testify to the fact that there's that connection. One in Christ. And let me tell you this, that the minute someone or something else becomes more important here, It's time for you and me to leave. And I'll hold the door so you can go. And I'll walk out behind you. Because it's Christ preeminence. Jesus Christ is the one thing we hold up. That's important. We want to do that, hold him up in all we do. And the second principle we want to talk about this morning is we view the Bible as authoritative. So Christ preeminent. And we said that one first because it's first, it's important. But the Bible as authoritative. Uh, We, good. We see it as God breathed. That's a phrase from 2 Timothy. There's clear evidence that the Bible is inspired by God. Even though we don't have... Their original manuscripts, the Bible tells us that men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And even though we don't have their original manuscripts, there are lots of reasons we can be confident that we have essentially 
the very words of God, what He wants us to know. That's incredible. And think about doing this in the 20th and 21st centuries. And among a society where we all get to be largely a a literate population, it's just amazing that we can carry around this book and read that when we want. You know, there's other people, and other churches may take a different view of Scripture. And there's lots of sort of shades of conviction about what the Bible is and what it represents in terms of what God wants us to know. But we believe this is a key principle for our daily lives and the life of this church. We believe it's true for both the Old Testament and the New. The Bible centers on the cross, and and the Old Testament all points to it, and the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, sort of explains it and helps us understand that, the connection with the Old. And so that's partially where we get our motto from Old Testament history springs New Testament hope. There's one story, one message in the Bible. Well, the Bible's called... I don't know how to go back, but that's okay. The Bible's called alive and active, and we take that phrase from Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and and attitudes of the heart. It reveals that. It tells me what, how bad my heart is or what my thoughts are and whether they're God-focused or not. It's an amazing thing to claim about the Bible. Uh, James goes ahead and talks about looking into the law of liberty, and he, he uses the metaphor of a mirror. It's like looking into a mirror. And then he talks about the person that looks into his mirror, that looks into the Bible and gets this insight, gets the word that God wants him to have, and then walks away and not making the changes. You know, the obvious application is when we do that, we need to make those changes like we do in a regular mirror, that the word of God is transforming. 2 Timothy 3.16 reinforces that. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's where we got that phrase. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, what what happens with that is that has affected our teaching here. So we preach and teach it section by section, book by book. To work so that we can work at properly understanding its meaning. That we pull it out of the context, we, within its context, and we understand what those sections, what the book is about that we're reading. And then the third, the third one is, it's complete. Paul tells us it contains all things for life and godliness. So in other words, it... Um, it gives us everything we need to know for, to live a godly life. So what happens is, as a church, and we should as individuals, we need to look to it for guidance. Other forms of guidance must be consistent with the Bible. Because the Bible is complete. It's what God wants us to know. So we try to be and want to be intentional and careful 
in what we do. The Bible's our source of truth, it's guidance to follow, and it's power to transform. So we look at biblical principles for the best way to operate New Hope Chapel and its ministries, to lift up Jesus, to bring glory to God and advance his work. So those are two of the principles that we sort of put under this umbrella of, um, of uh, this is God's church. And Justin's going to finish this out with a third principle. Converted. Steve wants an iPad for Christmas, just so you know. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet, but he does. <laughs> so we've talked about um, the preeminence of Jesus. We've talked about God's word is prominent. The third point that I want to make today is we trust in the Holy Spirit speaking. We believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks today and that he speaks in our lives. He directs our personal decisions, and he also directs the decisions of this church. No, really, that's what we believe. That's what I believe. We'll talk about this some more in the coming weeks, particularly when we talk about uh, church stewardship. But I want to touch a little bit on this subject today, because if God is speaking, what does that mean? And how does that relate to our church? First, I believe that it, it means believing and trusting that God is speaking and will speak into our lives and into the life of the church. Hebrews 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. There's always a temptation uh, to substitute God's ways for human convention or wisdom. As I mentioned last week, and as I'm still learning myself, a lack of faith isn't just a failure to believe that God can do something. It's also thinking or believing that accomplishment is totally upon us, that we have to do it, that we have to make it happen. Faith in Jesus is believing that he will speak and being willing to wait, to wait for him to speak. So we trust in the Holy Spirit speaking, and that means believing and trusting that God is speaking into the lives and the life of our church. But it also means that we take the time and the effort to listen. I've learned that prayer is even more about listening sometimes than it is about God, uh, or, I'm sorry, listening than me talking. Jesus says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, I will open the door and I will come in and be with him. If Jesus is speaking, then we have an opportunity to stop and listen and let him speak. Jesus is speaking to each of us individually. But the exciting thing about a church, I think, is that if you let the Lord speak in your life, and you let the Lord speak in your life, and I let the Lord speak in my life, then we come together and we have a much louder, much more comprehensive voice of God. So as I kind of fast forward through these slides, the last point is that we trust in the Holy Spirit speaking means that we trust in God's voice in others. We trust in God's voice in others. Perhaps this is the most challenging part of a church. Many may have experienced a church culture at one point that had a lot of red tape. Maybe it, it preached a gospel that said, we can't do that because we've never done that before. Amen? All right. Maybe it's hard to trust in God's voice in others because maybe you've seen weaknesses in them. 
sort of like what Jesus talked about, the prophet in his hometown is without honor. Sometimes a person will have a calling from the Lord that doesn't make sense to us, like going to Pakistan, right? You're like, what in the... Then you're going to Syria? Like, your travel agent is great, you know? God's calling you to that dangerous place. Well, instead of assuming that the answer is not from the Lord because it doesn't fit in with our idea of conventional wisdom or something that makes sense, we should always seek God's will and say, even though I can't make sense of this God, what is it that you're saying? I've shared this before, but when someone says, I have an idea about a ministry, instead of thinking, uh, this is just something that they've conjured up in their head, this is their own idea, I, I think first, okay, God, what are you saying in this? And instead of assuming that the idea is human, going back and saying, or it, assuming that, it, or at least the idea, or at least some aspect of it is from the Lord. And that's not just about ministry ideas. That's about a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom, a word of correction. If I can believe that Jesus is speaking to others, then I can be open to listening to what he is saying through others. First Colossians, or I'm sorry, Colossians uh, 1, I'll go back to that. Colossians 1, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. Part of trusting in God's work and his work in ourselves, his work in each other, is understanding who qualifies us, right? Many have fallen into the temptation that only older people have qualifications or that only successful businessmen and women have the qualification for ministry or that it's the person with a lot of degrees. They're the ones that are qualified. Like, those are the only ones that are qualified for ministry. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. Those things don't qualify us. They may help provide training and wisdom, but God alone qualifies us. It says here in Colossians 1.12, that, or 1.11, that giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance. Only God the Father, only God the Father qualifies us. And this is the story of Scripture. So many people who were the nobodies, the nothings, we read about during communion. There was nothing about Jesus that would cause us to be attracted to him. But those are the ones that that God uses for great things. Over and over, the Gideons and the Joshuas, the Davids, over and over God says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So let's sum up what we've talked about today. New Hope Chapel is God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the elders' church. It's not anyone else's church but God's. And that means our purpose is to point ourselves and others to Jesus, as we say in our mission statement. The purpose of New Hope Chapel is to point people to Jesus and let Jesus lead us. We allow him to lead us by giving Jesus permission to speak into the life of our church, submitting ourselves to his word, the Bible, as well as to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as each of us does this individually, we come together 
to allow God to do this as a whole. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.